And we are back again with another episode of the Play On Podcast with myself, your gracious host for today, Cal Sirius, and uh, another one of our gracious hosts, my man Ash. How you doing today, sir? What's going on? Yeah, I'm here, man. What's happening? Ash in the building. You sound very cool, calm and composed, much like how England were last night. Jeez, look at this guy. Yeah, um, I'm modeling myself on the English national team. <laughs> The hope, the hope is rising. I like that. I'd like to think that kind of class is just permeating throughout the nation right now. You're going to see everyone being a little bit more like technical with their approach to work and, you know, just, just very composed. Class and the English don't always go together. So um, <laughs> let's see what happens. <laughs> well, I'm sure everyone will be getting the drinks in uh, after the result we've had. For those that don't know, the European Championships are on and they have been absolutely well it's been all over the place there's been results that you would expect there's been some results that you won't expect as we'll get into a bit later during the pod um one of the stories that we've got to talk about today which is quite an interesting one is some of the best players that have left the competition but before we get into that we probably need to talk about the serious issue of the COVID-19 outbreak. Mm. Mm. So, I don't know. I, 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 me personally, I kind of feel like we should have maybe relaxed on doing open air events and big having big gatherings while we're still in the midst of a global pandemic. But for some, somehow, football's managed to pretty much carry on. And, um, and now you've got this story here from the BBC saying that football has been linked to 2,000 Scottish COVID cases, which is an absolutely astronomical number, 2,000 cases, obviously due to football fans going into stadiums, uh, probably likely to do with the Scottish football fans going to watch the England game. Um, and, uh, when you read the story, the details, it goes into saying that uh, Public Health Scotland has said two thirds of 1991 cases were people who travelled to London for Scotland's game with England on the 18th of June. Um, and that actually includes 397 fans who were inside the Wembley Stadium. Wow. What are your thoughts on that situation there, Ash? Um if you saw some of the antics that the Scottish guys are getting up to, like um, sliding through puddles, running around naked, <laughs> um, all of that stuff, I'm not surprised. <laughs> no, to, to put it in like serious um, things like the, this COVID um, um, issue is still very kind of rife. It's very, very pre- prevalent. Um, there have been some relax, like there's been a level of relaxation to the rules to kind of allow elite sport to happen i always find it interesting that because it's elite sport like it's, it's we're just going to allow it which is needed like people need entertainment they need all of those kinds of things but it is really really weird what's also strange about it as well is going back to the whole scotland england thing is the whole i the whole issue that happened with billy gilmore uh, mason mount and ben chilwell whereas ben chilwell and Mason Mount had to isolate themselves for a week because they were in contact with a player. Yet the Scottish national team still played a game and they were with Billy Gilmore a lot more than the English team as well. Um, none of this makes sense. None of it does, a, like, none of it kind of computes. Going back to the actual issue of the fans, 
the fans came down to London probably the first time they've been out of the country or, or been on a trip for ages and ages. They're going to make the most of it. They're going to want to get involved. They're going to want to see people. They're going to bounce around. They're going to be hugging and, and celebrating and all those kinds of things. It's it's really it's really difficult to really manage COVID, if we're honest. And um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised that there was a spike in the cases. Um, there could be another spike in the cases because if you look at some of the 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 scenes we saw yesterday with after England's win a lot of people that weren't in the same bubble were were jumping up and down when England scored and I don't I want to take the excitement away from anyone else but the, this is what's going to really happen so I'm not surprised there's a spike but hopefully um we're able to just kind of like manage it in the next few weeks so that there's not another spike after this let's hope so um it's I think it's a bit worrying because mm. Obviously, if the COVID cases continue to rise and continue to spread, it's inevitable that we might end up with another lockdown. Of course. So I would have much prefer. It, it, it's all better. To, it's all good and well to speak in hindsight and stuff. But I think I've said a long time ago on this podcast that I would have much preferred if we just cut everything off, wait until everything is, you know, is manageable. We've had a serious lockdown and, you know, we're, we're very comfortable with managing things going forward. And then resume all of our events and, and, and our regular daily lives. Um, but, 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 sorry, but even on that point, the hypocrisy of it's crazy because the semi-finals are going to have 60,000 people and yet we're still technically in a lockdown. Like, we're not free, like, not all the, restri- the restrictions have gone. But as we've always said, it's down to the money. Like, the money's going to cause the FA and Wembley and the, and the organisers to put as many people bums on seats in there and don't get me wrong like football with fans and an atmosphere it just shows how how much we've missed it and the fans remain the most important people in football like they pay they pay they pay the players wages they fill the stadiums they bring the atmosphere the players play for the like the players play for the fans on them on the main part so something is needed for them to be in there but at the same time full accountability towards what's going on in the world needs to be kind of like taken and maintained so it is a difficult one but yeah it definitely needs to be managed a bit better uh it certainly does um just in case anyone was wondering where our other hosts are um ben is actually unavailable today and so is ryan so it's uh it's just us the terrible two dynamic duo Batman no there you go there you go lauren and hardy something like that <laughs> Batman and robbers way better <laughs> I always feel like Laurel and Hardy they were like some idiots just moving around just always doing a madness yeah, so at least that like Batman and Robbie used to save the day innit fair enough I like that I like that dynamic duo superheroes um, and uh, some people who were supposed to be superheroes for their nation have actually found themselves on that plane back home um, we found this uh, interesting article from Ryan's favourite publication The Sun um, so he submitted uh, a couple of stories from the Sun for us to talk about today, and we've got a best eleven of players knocked out from Euro 2020 who were actually going to be favourites to win. Um, so Ash, take us through some of these players in this eleven here. Yeah, just to contextualise it, this was before the quarterfinals, so there's no Belgian players in it. So I feel like there's a couple that could have maybe got into the team but I'll give you the team as it stands at the moment and then we can maybe debate whether the Bruyne gets a game um, so the team is Neuer in goal you have Kimmich 
um, his German teammate at right back, Portugal's Diaz, France's Varane, and Austria's Alaba as the back four. The two holders are Kante and Pogba from France. The three, um, they're playing 4 2 3 1. The three um, attacking players are Mbappe, Griezmann, both from France, and Cristiano Ronaldo, the tournament's current leading scorer. And also, you had Robert Lewandowski from Poland up front. That is some team. It's a serious team, right? That is some um, team. I was saying just before we uh, we recorded, wasn't I, that uh, if you were playing football manager or something, you put a team like that together, you're going to win everything. Everything. Like, that team is crazy. I think, personally for me, I probably would swap Griezmann for De Bruyne. And I'd have De Bruyne as my 10. Um mm. And I think, yeah, that's the main change I would make. Can't really think of anyone else. Le- Lukaku's had a great season, but I still think Le- like Lewandowski's better than him. And I don't think anyone from Ukraine... Um, who else got knocked out? Ukraine, Dutch Switzerland. Friends. The Dutch... What, what about, what about uh, Modric squeezing ahead of Pogba, maybe? He's had a good tournament. <sighs> nah, but Pogba was exceptional in this tournament and I know that there could be some blame for him in terms of what happened against Switzerland with the last minute goal but no Pogba definitely like balled out really hard in this tournament so I'm going to keep Pogba in okay it's a solid team I mean Mm. wow um have you been surprised by maybe some of these players or some of the nations that these players have played for going out so early I mean with you know Ronaldo that's we're talking about the current champions of this competition Mm. Um, should Portugal have done better? It's a difficult one. So obviously they were in a difficult group. Um, they finished, yeah, they finished, they finished third in that group, and then they went through, and then they played against Belgium, who were some people's pre-tournament favourites. Um, I fancy that even if England got um, Portugal, they, they're they're eminently beatable because I feel that they're in that weird stage where they've got a couple of old stages in Ronaldo and Pepe, whose best years are behind them, but they were still starting. And maybe they should actually have shifted a bit more to the new generation, played a played a Jao Felix or that. Also, you had Bruno Fernandes and Ronaldo in the same team. And essentially, I feel like you could only play one of them. And obviously, Cristiano is going to play. Um, so I'm not surprised that Portugal went out early because I just I think maybe this is a tournament too far for some of the old guard and a tournament too soon for some of the young guard. Um, I thought Germany would put up a better show in. Um, I think England absolutely kind of ran that game and bar for the one mistake when um, Müller went through, they didn't really offer much. Um, but of course, the big surprise is France. Like they were my they were my shout. Um, they had that bad start. The penalty got saved by Lloris and then they went 3-1 up and just showed just their class for like 15 minutes. And I was like, yep, the French have turned up. It's long for everyone else. They're going to they're going to genuinely do do bits. And then the Swiss just kind of got to like got like got to free free, got to penalties, and then when it comes to penalties, it's a lottery. So yeah, like France didn't do enough in ninety or one hundred twenty minutes, and that's the reason why we had to say au revoir. There you go, au revoir, say la vie. Um, well, from teams who didn't make it to the finals to teams who did make it to the quarterfinals, we've got. Switzerland, Spain, Belgium, Italy, Czech Republic, Denmark, Ukraine, and England. Me personally, I wouldn't have necessarily thought you would see these guys. That um, Denmark, Czech Republic, Switzerland, I think, we, and Ukraine can all agree they've done really well to get 
to this stage of the competition. But now that they're over, we can reflect and we can have a look at the games. Switzerland versus Spain. Did you get a chance to watch some of that one, Nash? Yeah, I did. I think what you find, though, is just to go back to so the overall draw allows this stuff to happen. So remember, teams that finish third um, can still go through. And it was so random that some of the bigger teams who, when they finished second, they had to play another big team. So what it meant is that the, that the draw was left open for some of the so-called middling teams to do really, really well. Because remember, Denmark have played, Denmark have played Wales and then they played um, the Czechs to get to the semi-finals. In their group was Belgium and um, as, as a big nation. So they've only really played one big team to get to the semi-finals. So it's just really, really weird how the draw can kind of work. Um, I did watch the game. I wasn't too impressed with Spain. Um, they got a good start early on by the, by, from their own goal had a few chances that they should have kind of done. They've been really, really wasteful in front of goal. I know they've scored five, I think they scored five goals in their previous two games, but they still miss a lot of chances. And I just think that at this level, that's going to eventually cost them. Um, And I think a team like, they're up against Italy next. I think that's really going to be a problem for them. The Swiss did like, did what they had to do. Um, Obviously they got to the, they got to the, um, they got to, to penalties again for the second time. Again, it was just one shootout too far. Where they were very good with their penalties in the first game, they were pretty awful this time. And um, yeah, Spain Spain won quite comfortably on penalties. Um, <clears throat> so on the balance of the game, do you think Spain deserve to win? So it's weird because obviously they had the 10 men. So Switzerland had a player sent off towards the end of the um, regulation time. So Spain had all the game in, 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 in extra time and they should really have like, wrapped the game up long before penalties. Um, Spain deserved to go through, but again, there were some real alarm bells in regards to their continuation in the tournament. Like they're not, they don't let, they, I don't believe they're going to go and beat Italy. Like I genuinely don't believe Spain have the minerals to beat Italy. Yeah, I don't think so, to be honest. Um, I think maybe Sergio Busquets, like you were talking about uh, with Portugal, uh, how it's a tournament too much for some of the old guard. I think maybe Busquets could fall into that category. He's looking really slow out there. Um, didn't he miss a penalty as well? Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm not so sure Sergio Busquets is is going to be able to to live with the likes of Barella and those young players they've got running around in that Italian midfield. Yeah. Um, I do like Ferran Torres. I think he's played quite well for Spain. But overall, this isn't really a great Spain team like some of the Spanish teams we've seen in the past. Um, and I, I think they'll struggle to to get to the final, to be honest. Yeah. Um, we've got Belgium versus Italy. Now, in that game, I expected fireworks because I just thought, wow, this is two of the informed teams in the tournament coming head to head. It's a shame that they're meeting now because that's the kind of game that could have made a great final. Yeah, 100. Um, because they've, they've both been great. They've both been excellent. Um, but um, it just wasn't to be for Belgium, was it? It was, uh, you know, Lukaku did his bit. He scored. Um, I, I remember seeing some lovely bits of play from Wietzel in the midfield. I thought he had an impressive game, uh, just sort of protecting the defence, collecting the ball, distributing, playing some nice little passes. Um Doku, I thought, was great as well. He he was okay. a real live wild, live wild. Wow, his yeah. shift his shift is top. 
Like when he's on that right, when he's on that left hand side, there was one, there was the one chance where I think he beat like four pers- four players with the same shift. Literally just stand him up shift. Stand, like he's explode, he's so explosive. So, but technically, his ability to just stand someone up and go is top notch as well. So yeah, he's a he's he's a great talent that if nurtured correctly is going to be is going to be a major player for fu- um, Belgium in the future. Yeah, he's only young. Um, he's playing in France for Rennes. And, um, yeah, we'll see what happens there. I might have to uh, get a cheeky scout going in my uh, FIFA career mode to see see what's up with Jeremy Doku. Um, but, um, yeah, looking at the Italy team, I mean, I think they just look composed. They've looked very composed throughout the whole tournament. I don't think they've ever really looked like they were going to lose. Hmm. And... Um, you could say the same in this game, really. Like, you know, maybe maybe Belgium had them on the ropes one or two times. Doku had one sh- one uh, opportunity late in the game where he came off the left wing and cut inside with some incredible dribbling. And his shot was just over the bar, like just. Ah, you'd think if he just wasn't leaning back so much, that could have just gone right into the top bins. Keep it another chance. Um, so maybe things could have been different if, if that goal went in. But... Um, yeah, Insigne scored an absolutely incredible goal, worthy of winning any game. Yeah. Um, Barella scored a great goal as well. And I think they just look solid, Italy. I really like that young Chiesa of Juventus. And um, it was interesting to see him getting a start. Yes. Uh, Over Berardi. Yeah. Who, who, I think the, the thing about Italy, and this is why I think they're going to be the likely finalists from that side, is they've just got so many people that can score goals. So, like, Locatelli didn't even start, and he scored two um, in the game against Switzerland. Um, and Mobley's a good, like, a good striker. Insigne's pretty good as well. You've got Chiesa, who's come into the team in the last two games and, like, lit it up. You've, they've still got the control of Verratti and Jorginho in the middle of the park. Like, Italy have probably the most balanced team, I think, in the competition. I think England's midfields let them down slightly. I don't think... Phillips and Rice are of the quality of the Italian midfield, but maybe England are a bit stronger in the offensive, um, in the offensive third. But yeah, I think Italy just been great. So many things, and a few people had them as dark horses, <clears throat> and they said, "Well, they haven't played anyone," and that was a big thing. Like, who have they played? Who's who? Like, who's good? They've just beaten one of the favourites, and I think Italy now are probably in line with England to be like the two favourites for this competition. Hmm. Um, it kind of it kind of sounds like to me like you're itching to talk about England, um, but let, let's quickly go through <laughs> uh, Czech Republic and Denmark before we get there. Um, so we've got, you know, this Czech Republic team. I'm I'm looking at the team and I'm thinking it it, it doesn't excite me just looking at the names on paper, but they have played some bits of football. Like when you actually watch them play, they have played some. And Schick is a good striker. He can good score striker. goals. Good striker. Suchek as well, you know, in, in the midfield. He does the work we all know about him from the Premier League. Um, but when they came up against Denmark, you would just think maybe they're, they're playing with the, you know, maybe the ghost of Christian Eriksen. I, want, I don't want to say ghost. That's the wrong word. The spirit. You know, I was going to say, bro. <laughs> that's the wrong word. You don't want to, you don't want to do something like that. Um, the spirit of Christian Eriksen has just kind of possessed all of the players. You know, that's kind of how you feel right now. Yeah. They're, like, they're, they're basically emotion FC. Like They're just running off the emotion of what happened in the first game. Even against Belgium, even though they lost to two bits of outstanding quality, 
they genuinely gave them a very, very good game and then they kind of just continued that form. So they've been scoring lots of goals as well. So they scored four in their last group game, four against Wells and now two against the Czechs. So that's 10 goals in three games. And again, the goals are being like shared around. So they do have a number of, of, of weapons. I think looking at how they're set up, I think they could bloody England's nose. I don't expect them to beat England, but it's going to be a good game. And actually what I like as well is the use of their their front their front three. So Damsgaard's kind of come into the Ericsson role and he's done very, very, very well as kind of like the link player. And then you've got like Brathwaite of Barcelona playing from the left, who's a bit of a, again, the whole live wire, um, that intent running, but kind of like good technical um, ability on the ball as well. And then Dolberg's become the main like focal point up front. But previously they were playing um, Paulson, who again is quite quick in transition. He came on after 58 minutes and then on the counter attack was really causing the Czechs problems. So the Danes have enough variety to give England a, a hard game. I just think England will have enough, especially with home advantage. Um, they were able to kind of like freshen things up after their resounding win, which we'll talk about next. Um, I think, yeah, I think, I think it'll be a very good semi-final. Um, but yeah, I just don't, I think this is probably the, as far as Denmark can kind of go in a tournament. Maybe it's curtains. We, we shall see. Um, so that takes us to our, our final game in the quarterfinals, Ukraine versus England. So now, I was a huge Andrei Shevchenko fan when he was a player. Um, so seeing him lead this team into the tournament, I was kind of hoping they would do well. Um, and to see maybe some of his his character stamped onto his team. And I think I did see I did see some quality attacking play from the Ukraine. I did see Yarmolenko score some beautiful goals. Um, and uh, Zinchenko as well. Uh, but ultimately they were never really going to be a serious contender for winning this competition. And I think in this game against England, they came up against a team who are a serious contender. What's your thoughts on this match, Ash? Yeah, so it's weird. So I watched it, and in the first two, three minutes, I saw what Ukraine were on. They had they play a 3-5-2 that was very much a 5-3-2. They had like eight players behind the ball. I think they just wanted to keep it as tight as possible, maybe let England get frustrated and then hopefully nick something. But after four minutes, when Harry Kane scored, it was always going to be a rout. Because with a team like that, they need to go, they need to go, they need to score first. They need to get their nose ahead and then they can maybe kind of like hit you on a counter-attack. The moment that England scored super early... And then they were just patient. I didn't think England were great in the first half. They just managed the game. But then in the second half, as soon as Maguire got that goal after like two minutes of the of the of the um, break, then it was going to be like easy street. I actually predicted three nil with a Harry Kane brace. Um, so I was one goal out from that. Um, but yeah, like England just made it look super comfy. Like they was able to bring on good players. It was great to see Sancho start. Like I'm a big, big Sancho fan, like huge, huge Sancho fan. And obviously some of the news of him potentially coming, well, he is literally coming to United now means that is some absolute top quality that's entered the Premier League. Obviously he was an English player before, was at Man City, went to Bristol Dortmund for a couple of seasons and now he's back in the English game. Like a much more improved and more technically proficient player. I'm really looking forward to seeing him like week to week, but England just have so many options. Like they were able to not, they didn't have to play Rashford. They didn't play Foden. They didn't play Grealish. They didn't play Saka. 
um, like just so many like a cut like quality players just didn't even start the game, um, and it's boding well for them. Like, like as I said, as I said when we reviewed Denmark, I think England are going to have enough. Um, but can I also just give a massive shout out to um, probably some of the more unsung players so far? Um, Jordan Pickford, he's had a great tournament, hasn't conceded a single goal, um, but genuinely looks so much more assured than he does at, for Everton. I think Harry Maguire, I know he scored, but I was saying this for a little while. I think since he's come into the team as well, as good as Tyrone Mings did, um, he's definitely made them more calmer. They're, they're, they're passing out the backs a lot better with like with Maguire as well. And he's very good at kind of like running from his own half in like deep into the opposition half and creating a bit of um, chaos. And my third shout is to J- Johan Stones, obviously John Stones, um, a player who I've been raving about all season. And I think he's just had a great tournament. And I think, um, yeah, like defensively, England are very, very solid. And it's going to take a lot for them to be broken down. So yeah, I think I think England make the final, and then in the final, it's it's a lottery. What do you think? Because I know you're a big England fan, Cal. So what, well, what are your thoughts um, on the game? As, as we all are, we all we all we all definitely supporting the boys. Um, so having seen uh, this article from Sky Sports talking about Bukayo Saka having an injury, I'm actually wondering would Jaden Sancho have even started for England if it wasn't for Sa- for Saka being injured? Because we've seen that. The way that Saka's played in the previous matches, he's looked absolutely incredible. And being an Arsenal fan, I know just how good that boy is. And I believe that he's a better player than Jaden Sancho. I believe he has more to his game. Ooh, uh, so really? Me, in my personal opinion, I would rather Saka plays than Sancho plays. That's just my personal opinion. Um, but having said that, Jaden Sancho is an absolutely incredible player. Like his close control and his ability to beat players. It's it, it to to just watch like as a football fan. Like that's that's what's going to put the bombs in the seats. You know, you get a Grealish, you get a Sancho, you get a Sterling players like that. It's going to get you jumping off of your seat when you're uh, in the stadium. You know, um, so. But I just wonder with Sancho, I wonder about his end product. Um, I think we all know that that Saka is a very, uh, very good team player. He does have the ability to beat players, but he's also a very good team player. He's definitely going to get a lot of assists and um, and he can score goals as well. Will Sancho be able to do that? We'll see. We'll see. I know he's got a good record at club level, but let's see what he does in an England shirt. I thought against Ukraine, Sancho looked like a problem, but... I didn't really see any end product from him. I saw a lot of kind of skills and dribbling and, you know, but I didn't really see any end product. So we'll have to see how that translates if he gets to start again um, against Denmark. Um, what what I really like about this England team is how Gareth Southgate has set them up to be defensively solid. You need that as a base. Every team that wins something, they have that strong defensive unit as a base and then that's a platform for you to build and for your attacking players to go and have creative license to go forward and for for Sancho to be able to try something and then lose the ball and you know if it doesn't work out you can lose the ball and it's not the biggest deal because you know you've got the likes of a a Kevin Phillips behind you who's going to just run in and and, and win the ball back or someone like a Kyle Walker who's going to run in and win the ball but you know so I think it's very important that we have that. And honestly, the way that Phillips and Rice are working together, I don't know if you want to change that. I don't know if you really want 
Jordan Henderson coming in now. Um, I do think Henderson's a good player. I like his experience, but I think Phillips and Rice are working very well together as a unit. Um, I've been critiquing Declan Rice in the past simply because I feel like he's a bit overrated because everybody bangs on about him. And I just don't... So far, I haven't seen why everyone's banging on about him. But what I can say is what I've seen in this tournament is he's very consistent. Like, he's very, 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 very consistent. He doesn't really make mistakes. Um, And he just seems like a solid, reliable, he's going to get the job done kind of player. And I suppose if you're a football manager and you're putting your team together, you need players who are going to do that. So maybe he's not someone who's going to catch the eye and he's not going to be picking up the man of the match award, but he's not going to make any mistakes. He's going to do everything right. And you put him next to Calvin Phillips and protecting your defence. I think that's, I think that, that midfield duo that England have has been a huge key as to why they've been so successful in this tournament. Rice and Phillips protecting the back four. Excellent. Um, Sterling, wow. I mean, what more can you really say about this guy? I think he was a bit hard done by to not get all of the plaudits in the, in the newspapers uh, from his absolutely That's... excellent performance in the last game. Like, he really should have got more credit for that instead of Harry Kane getting all of the credit. But... You know, what are you going to do? This is this is where he is. Um, but against Germany, I think Sterling was absolutely incredible. And he was absolutely incredible again against Ukraine. Um, I don't want to bang too much on about the way that England played against Ukraine. Because like I say, I feel like England should now be looked upon as, like in this game, England are favourites. You know, England should be expected to beat Ukraine. And it, for Ukraine, it's an uphill task. So... 4-0 is definitely them, you know, hey, man, they're pouring the swagger juice. they got the swag juice dripping all over their performance, you know, four goals. Absolutely incredible. Um, you can't really critique Southgate anymore because the guys were bombing forward and attacking and he picked the team. That, that was the thing people were saying. I was uh, engaging with some of the fans on Twitter and people were saying, you know, Southgate, like, he's too defensive. But... You know, he's got to change from that defensive formation he played against Germany, which got the job done. And, you know, he's he's put Sancho in the team. He's got Mount back in. Um, I think Mount had a, was out for COVID, wasn't he? I think he I think we spoke about that before we started yeah. recording as well. Um, and so maybe Mount would have played against Germany. Who knows? Um, but uh, he's got Mount and Sancho back in the side. A little bit more creativity, a bit more attacking play. I, I do like the way England looks with Sterling and Sancho in the team. I think that that was brilliant, to be honest with you. Um, Luke Shaw needs some praise that the guy has been like, I don't actually see who picked up the man of the match in that performance, you know, but Luke Shaw could be in with a shout of winning man of the match. He's like very Somebody- solid performance. Some of these Roberto Carlos memes are a bit mad though. <laughs> <laughs> they got like, like Luke Shaw's head of Roberto Carlos from '98. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he's been he's had a good season. I think from like we said in, on the pod on before from November November 2020 through to obviously we're now in July 2021. Luke Shaw's been excellent. He's been excellent. Like fair play to him. He's been excellent. So yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm I'm, I'm excited about. I'm excited about the patterns that I'm seeing on the left-hand side for England. I see there's like a few patterns where Luke Shaw kind of overlaps and Sterling cuts inside and then the ball comes in and and, and it just looks 
it looks practiced. It looks like this is straight off of the training ground, what they're doing here. And I don't see the same kind of thing happening on the right. I think it's definitely an excellent partnership between Sterling and Shaw on the left-hand side. I think they've worked at that and it's, it's, it's bearing fruit. I'm really, I'm really happy about the way England are playing. I'm excited. Honestly, I feel like it's coming home for the first time in my lifetime. I'm watching England playing and I'm feeling like, wow, this is actually coming home. I mean, the last time I felt like it might, something might happen is when we had that golden era team with uh, Steven Gerrard and Rio Ferdinand and Wayne Rooney, you know, but this is different because right now we actually just like looking at the path to the final, looking at uh, England's uh, next opponents at Denmark, you think, well, in the same way where you think England should be the favourites and should be beating Ukraine, you think England should be the favourites and should be beating Denmark. And so if we get past that hurdle, it's just, okay, maybe possibly a tough final against Italy, but we could probably do it, man. Like, we could do it. Yeah, like, I, don't, I don't think England have a better chance of doing it. I think, I genuinely believe it's England or Italy. It's going to be one of those two teams. And if that's the final next week, Sunday, then it's a bit of a it's a bit of a coin toss because I think, like I said to you beforehand, I think Italy have the best midfield in the competition. And I think as much as you spoke about Rice and Calvin Phillips, if Italy meet England, I think that's where the game is essentially won and lost. Like Rice and Phillips and Mount are going to have to have their best games of the tournament to probably stop Italy's engine room. Because like I said, you've got Barella in there, you've got Jorginho, you've got Verratti, Locatelli, who starred in an earlier game in the tournament. He doesn't even start at the moment. I wouldn't be surprised if he would, yeah, if he actually came in because he's a bit more, he's a bit more box to box. Um, but yeah, I just think, I just think for me, it's the Italy England final. That's my prediction. Um, and then if that is the case, I don't actually know. I can't call it. Can't actually call it. It's really, really tight. Fair enough. So. Semi-finals, England versus Denmark, Italy versus Spain. We'll all be uh, really excited and hoping that we get a good result. Um, moving on to Copa America, quick summary of this. Quarterfinals, we've got uh, Peru versus Paraguay. That was 3-3. And uh, Peru winning the penalties. We've got Brazil versus Chile. That was a 1-0 game. They're playing um, Neymar up front. Which I thought was quite interesting. Name Gabriel Jesus got sent off. Yeah, he got sent off for one of the like some karate kid stuff. Like it was crazy. Oh. Real crazy. Yeah. Oh. If you see it, it was I don't even know what he was doing. Like it was absolutely ridiculous. So Brazil he got sent off in like the fifty seventh minute as well. So um yeah. Yeah, Brazil squeezed through that. Um but yeah, I expect them to meet the final because they play Peru next, so I expect Brazil to make the final. There you go, Lucas Paqueta getting the goal, um, the man in France. And uh, you've got Uruguay versus Colombia, which was a goal that's drawn, went to penalties. Uruguay progressing on penalties. Colombia beat beat Uruguay. Excuse me. And then you've got Argentina beating Ecuador 3-0. Argentina, Leo (laughs) Messi. Is Leo (laughs) Messi finally going to win an international tournament, Ash? Um, He's got every chance. So Colombia aren't as maybe as good as they have been in previous editions. So I'm hoping that Argentina make it through. 
and they don't have an Asprilla anymore. <laughs> well, even at like, so I just think like, just they just don't seem to be just at the level that they were a few tournaments ago. Um, World Cup 2014, um, even like some of the um, recent coppers as well. They've done they've done very well. Um, yeah, I think we're looking at I think we're looking at Brazil a Brazil Argentina final. And yeah, that wow. I I don't even know how to call that. I genuinely don't know how to call that. That's going to be a really good game of football. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I really hope Messi does it. Like just, I feel like he, I feel like his talent deserves an international title. And I really hope he manages to get the team over the line. I really do. Let's hope so. Um, So uh, that is going to be our wrap up for the results and the fixtures. Um, We've got a couple of news stories to talk about here. Um, so, first one being this cheeky fella, Joe Chimelo. Uh, <laughs> got a story here from Eurosport. This might be one of yours, Ash, I think. Yeah. Um, we've got this fella saying, I am not retiring, which is quite a defiant um, statement to make when, you know, when you think he's been at Germany for how long? Like 15 years, he says here. Yeah. He's been there a yeah. very long time, which I think is really unusual in international football management. I think maybe the longest time I've seen a manager serving at a football at a national team is probably Trapattoni. He seemed like he was at Italy forever. Um, he was there for a little while. The thing with him is, though, so remember, he was initially on the coaching staff and then graduated to become the actual national team manager. In that time, they've been to a couple of finals, um, not quite made it over the line, but they famously won the World Cup in 2014. Um, I felt that he's gone on a couple of tournaments too far. Um, and there was a stage where I actually wanted him to be the Arsenal manager. I thought um, he would be a good fit for us. Um, he plays progressive football. Um, he, knows how to ha- he knows how to handle big egos. Um but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what his next move is. Like, will he just remain in international football and just be an international football manager, or will he actually come back to a club? Um, yeah, I'd, obviously now, would I have him as an Arsenal manager? To be fair, I'd, I'm not happy with Arteta, so I'd probably take him. But um, yeah, the energy I had for him previously isn't quite the same, and I definitely think he took this Germany team too far. Um, They've got a new generation of player coming through at the moment as well. Um, yeah, I think I think he's still got something to offer, but maybe he just will stay in the international realm as opposed to coming back to club management. We'll see. We'll see. We shall see. Um, he's had a long career, hasn't he? Mm. Um, 1994, he started in, in club management, mm. which is absolutely incredible. Uh, managing in the Bundesliga. Um, wow. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. You know, it's uh, it's possible he might pop up in the Premier League. Uh, a lot of the time, these experienced coaches do end up coming to the Premier League at some point. And there's always a, a high turnover in our top flight division here in England. So, we'll see. Good luck to him. I don't think he's a good coach and he has a lot to offer. Yeah. Um. So, from one manager to another, Nuno Espirito Santo. I wish I was Portuguese and I could say that with a more of a Portuguese flair. No, you said um, it. You said it well, bro. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, so this Nuno guy has got to be one of my favourite football managers. He's coming to the Premier League. He's revolutionised Wolves. 
Um, he's got them playing some really exciting football and shown everyone how shrewd of a football manager he, he can be. You know, he's u- utilised his network to bring in exciting talents from Portugal, from Spain, you know, and to the point where he, he kind of imprinted his culture on the club so much that they kind of put out a kit with the club with the, his national colours in it. Um, you know and I'm sure when he leaves Wolves nobody will have a bad word to say about him I'm sure everyone's just going to be thinking of him fondly and uh, at that period when he'd left Wolves I was thinking well what's next for him what's he going to do next because he's definitely looking like one of the best coaches around and then he pops up at Spurs and now, now I'm wondering is it a conspiracy like because he sold Doherty to Spurs and then he ends up at Spurs. I don't know. I don't know if it's that deep. I don't know. Um, maybe uh, it was just timing. And uh, with Mourinho leaving, it was time to bring in another coach. But uh, I did think there's no reason for Nuno to to leave Wolves. Why would he leave when it seems like he's got everything going really well for him there? But I guess if a bigger club comes calling, maybe there was a conversation before he left the Wolves job and... It's like we need you to leave. So, you know, maybe that's think, what it is. I think he probably realised he got to the the apex of what he could do at Wolves. Because um, remember, he left before he was offered the Tottenham job. Mm. Um, I think he's like Tottenham's 17th choice because they got, right. a, they got a lot of rejections um, for the managerial role. Um, so as a result, he wasn't first choice, but he decided to leave. So he's got the job now. Um Obviously, I don't want. I don't want to wish. I don't want to wish Tottenham too well. Like there are, there are neighbours and our rivals. Um, but I do like him as a manager. And yeah, Doherty must be very, very happy. I mean, if if they start playing free at the back, and Doherty's that that right fullback, and he's allowed to bomb on and play his game that he was playing at Wolves, he's a very good player. Like, or sorry, good is too strong. He's a very effective player. Um, I'll be interested. And Spurs have some quality. I know Harry Kane wants to leave. Um. And I'm sure there'll be a massive kind of um, fight to keep him. But, yeah, we'll see what he does. Obviously, don't do too well. Um, but, <laughs> I do, but I do like him personally as a manager. Um, yeah, I can't see uh, Nuno stopping Kane from leaving. You know, uh, I can't imagine there'll be two managers that would come in and convince Harry Kane to stay if he really wants to leave. I feel like, he, you know, he's been there a while. He's, he maybe he thinks his time has come. But yeah, um, I do like Nuno. It's always mixed emotions, isn't it? Uh, I want to see Nuno do well, but I don't really want to see Spurs doing too well. <laughs> um, so let's move on. From one manager to another, we have the man, the myth, the Champions League winning legend, Rafa Benitez. He's got himself a move to Everton of all places. Now, I, I remember seeing something, uh, seeing a story with uh, some Everton fans kind of being a bit nasty and saying, we don't want you to sign A, we know where you live and these kind of threats and stuff, which you kind of get from these hardcore fans, I suppose. So I'm glad to see that Benitez didn't let that stop him and he still took the job. Um, I suppose the rivalry between Liverpool and Everton is a fierce one. Him being a former Liverpool manager is something that, you know, it will be lodged in the minds of some Everton supporters. You know, they wouldn't welcome him there. But he's there now. 
do they get behind him? Will he usher in a new era of prosperity, Ash? Um, so I think those fans are actually Liverpool fans. I think some of the Liverpool fans have kind of threatened him to, to not go there because... So I think Everton fans want him now. I think they've come round to it. When I, I read that as the Liverpool fans are the ones saying, basically, don't sign because we know where okay. you live. Um, I could be wrong. Um, but I think... I think it's a good move for I think it's a good move for Everton. I think it's a good move for Rafa. Um and I think yeah, I just I think he loves the area. Um I think he's still got a house up there. And he does love Liverpool, but I think you can still love Liverpool but still do a very good job for Everton. Um before, like in the nineties, lots of players like Peter Beardsley played for both clubs. Um there was even like some Everton fans that played for Liverpool and vice versa. Um it, it, it never used to be like families used to be like split down the middle and would go to games together. It's got a little bit of poison, it's a little bit toxic, but that's more to do with kind of like social media fans rather than the actual fans themselves. So, um, no, I think it's a good move. I think Rafa's a very good manager, and Everton's last two managers have both won the Champions League and have both won like titles in um, various countries as well. So, it's good to like the the higher quality of manager you have in the league, the better the football is. So I'm I'm a big believer in that, and I'm I'm all for it. Most definitely. Um, yeah, I wish them well. I think uh, Carlo Ancelotti was they done really well to get Carlo Ancelotti there at Everton. To be fair, so if Real Madrid if Real Madrid comes calling, they can't really stand in his way, can they? That's the kind of club he should be at. Um, but um, yeah, Rafa Benitez coming in, I think yeah, he's a good coach. He knows the city. He knows. The league, you know, it wasn't that long ago he was manager at Newcastle. Yeah, this is going to be good. This I can only see this being a good appointment and a good replacement for Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah. Um. So one more management issue to talk about. Could Patrick Vieira be coming to the Premier League in a management capacity? It's looking likely. So Crystal Palace have announced that... Um, well, they said they're set to announce him as their manager. Um, and they need to hurry up. I think they've only got 11 um, first-team players who are who have contracts at the moment. They let go of 12 um, recently, like just being out of contract or like wanting to retire and hang up their boots. So if he is going to be coming in, he needs to get there early and get things cracking. They've also got a few injuries. So Eze's out long-term. Um, after he picked up an injury towards the end of the season, they're going to need to be very active in the transfer market in order to get the right person in. But yeah, he's got good experience. He's managed in France. He's managed in the MLS. Um, also manager of Man City's youth team as well. So I'm hoping that the former Arsenal legend is 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 a, is a success. Um, I like Palace. I like Palace a lot. They're a good London club. I like seeing him in the Prem. So I hope they're able to remain in the Prem under his stewardship. Well, we all know that um, one of the Palace stars, Zaha, Wilfred Zaha, has been really unsettled uh, and wanting to move. Do you think that Vieira coming in will be the tonic that he needs to keep him happy and to keep him performing and playing well? Possibly. I think I think if Zaha doesn't move this season, then I think he's going to end up just seeing his career out of Palace because... This is it for him now. He's he's hit his he's hit his physical peak. He's in this long term contract. I think the club realise if he goes, then that's a massive gamble to try to replace him with quality, with his goals, his his ability to kind of like bring the team up the pitch, his one v one ability. Um when he's on song, like Wolf Zahar is one of the best wingers in the league. Um 
and Patrick Vieira is going to have to going to have to hone that. Remember, he played with some of the best wingers in the league as well. Like he played with your Overmars's, your Pires's. Omri was a winger who turned into a striker. Like he's played with some of the great, like the greats. And maybe he'll be able to get an even better song out of Zaha. So Zaha could be looking at it saying, this is the manager that's going to make me even better. Or he could be saying, I know, now's the time for me to move. We're going to have to wait and see. Mm, we will. This is actually breaking news. We've just seen a, a report from the BBC 14 minutes ago that says it's breaking. Crystal Palace have appointed Patrick Vieira to succeed Roy Hodgson as their manager. And there's a quote from Vieira here saying, He's really excited to have this opportunity to return to the Premier League. Wow. How about that? Yeah, good news. Good stuff. Um, so, in other news, if we continue with uh, our French theme, with uh, Patrick Vieira, we've also got another story here regarding French people, French people in football, the French national team, from the Euro 2020 tournament. And apparently, there was a bit of trouble in the camp. So it's a, it's another article from The Sun here, talking about uh, what's going on inside France's 2020 implosion. Uh, wow. I mean, when the news broke that Benzema was being reintegrated back into the French squad, I think a lot of people would have been a little bit excited, but at the same time, a little bit nervous and thinking, what's going to, like, on the pitch, it's going to be brilliant to see Benzema playing for France again. But off the pitch, is there potentially going to be some kind of an issue there? Um, you know, obviously, Giroud will feel hard done by. Um, maybe, you know, there might be a bit of a fallout with some of the other players. Maybe it might disrupt some of the harmony in the squad. Um, but according to the Sun, maybe that's not the only issue. Maybe that's not the only issue in the French uh, uh, squad there. And maybe there could be other reasons, off-the-field reasons, that can explain why France didn't do so well. Uh, your thoughts on this, Ash? I think with France, it's always a delicate... The, the, the line of success and failure is always very delicate. And whenever there is failure, these stories always kind of come out. So, um, yeah, so Rabiel's mum, Veronica, was very... Um, critical of some of the players I think Pogba was one because of his mistake and obviously Mbappe missing um the crucial penalty um it's yeah like when everyone's winning these stories never come out right um but whenever someone loses there's, there's always this or that so yeah there's definitely credence to the story but they're um they they expected to do better they've they've underperformed and people are going to that point fingers. I don't think Mbappe had a particularly good tournament. I think um, I think Pogba did. Um, Rabiot was in and out of the side. He didn't play particularly well and had to play out of position. So maybe there's a little bit of frustration with that. Um, yeah, and going back to the Benzema part, like that was always going to be like a contentious issue. The one thing I'm, I'm really happy is that he actually performed. Like he didn't he didn't let the side down. Actually, probably the side let him down more. Like he scored four goals. Um, one of the goals of the tournament with the equaliser against Switzerland. Um, probably two goals of the tournament because there was also the really good goal he scored against Portugal from Pogba's pass. So, um, yeah, the French are the French, right? Like, they'll do this and they'll probably win the next World Cup. Like, this is what they do. Like, they'll fall, they'll fall their starter and they'll come back with a bang. So, 
um, maybe yeah. look at France to be the favourites for the next World Cup. To be honest, I'm not going to read too much into this story from the Sun. Um, you know, I mean, players do fall out. We're talking about just men in general. Men have egos and men will argue and men will fall out. That's just normal stuff, let alone if you're playing football and, you know, you get frustrated because somebody's running and somebody's not running. Somebody's pulling their weight. Somebody's not pulling their weight. You're going to have arguments. It happens all the time. Yeah. Every team, every team, winning teams and losing teams. So I don't think there's anything to read into that, really. Um, Inslee Maitland-Niles. Wow. Now, this is a story that I don't like because it's a, a serious topic. But we have to talk about it. Um, so we've got an article in The Athletic talking about Arsenal's Ainsley Maitland-Niles being involved in a traffic accident. So you may have seen on social media, it's been all over the socials, you know, um, there's a, his car has been kind of flipped over on its side. So he's driving, there's an accident, uh, police were called. And what we can see in the article here is it says there were no reports of any injuries. So that's the facts, that's what we know. Um, now there's gossip and then there's facts. Mm. So in this article here, it doesn't say anything much more than the facts, right? He was involved in an accident. The car's been flipped on its side, as you can see in the picture. There were no reports of any injuries. Nobody was hurt. Um, and, you know, the emergency services uh, had to attend. Uh, any thoughts on that, Ash? I think first and foremost, thank goodness that everyone was all right. Um, there's a lot of... Um, conjecture around the state he was found in what people found in the car um all of those things so yeah i think just it needs to be resolved i think we've seen it with a couple of players as well so like um jack wilshire sorry not jack wilshire jack Grealish um was found to be drunk during breaking covid laws as well um there was another incident i can't remember off the top of my head but this there's, it's happened a few times. I really hope that people take into account just um, just the same energy when speaking about AV mate and ours that we do with other players who have done this. Because sometimes that's not what happens. You you tend to see different players of different colours being treated very very differently in the media, having done the exact same thing. So that's the first thing I want to say. Secondly, it's just silly of him to do this and he should be suitably like reprimanded by the club um, about this as well. And just thirdly, I just think that, um, yeah, I just hope that it gets resolved very, very quickly. I hope he learns from this. Um, and yeah, I just wait for the full story to kind of come out. So a lot of it is just kind of conjecture and um, accusation and assumption at the moment. So when the full story comes out and the full details, I'm sure we'll find out. Mm, well, yeah, I, I like that article in the Athletic. There, I'm going to stick to the facts that they've uh, they've posted about, um, and wish Ainsley Maitland-Niles a speedy recovery. And like Ash says, you know, keep that same energy. If you're the same way you're going to treat somebody else who was involved in a similar situation, let's treat Ainsley the same. Um, so moving on, we've got a new transfer. Leicester City announces the purchase of Patson Dakar. Now, this lad, right, I, I did my, my Googles. I had a look at him on YouTube. And this guy looks like a pacey goal scorer. 
You know, maybe uh, I would compare him to an older version of Eddie Nketiah because he looks lightning quick and a great finisher. He looks like he, he can score those kind of scrappy fox-in-the-box kind of goals. Um, and maybe he's got a lot more to his game that I haven't seen in a quick YouTube highlight, you know. But he definitely looks like he's going to score goals. Um, you had a, a little look at this Pats and Dak affiliate? I haven't. You know what? One thing I don't do, and this is going to sound really strange, right? You see when someone comes and they say, oh, watch his YouTube compilation. I never watch their YouTube compilation because... For me, YouTube is just your highlights. I mm. want to see you play 90 minutes. I want to judge you on that rather than me seeing you doing stepovers and stuff like that. Like, there's so many players who, if you give them four minutes on YouTube, like they're worth 200 mil. So I'd rather kind of wait, see him in a couple of games. And then what I might do is I might then revisit his YouTube highlights to kind of see, okay, cool. These are his best bits if I haven't seen it in any of his games so far. So even like when Arsenal are linked with players, if I've never seen them play like a full 90 minutes, I tend to try to wait to see them in a 90 minute game rather than go into YouTube because I think sometimes it could just be a bit misleading and then you can get like so gassed by this player. Like Nicolas Pepe is a great example of it, right? Like so many people are like, oh my gosh, look at what he's doing in France. Then he came over and it's taken him two years to really settle in and it's only like the last few months of the season where he starts to show some of the form that we saw in France. So rather than get ahead of myself with the player, I'd rather just judge him on his merits as a player and then do it that way. So someone like Wesley Fofana, for, for example, um, I didn't know much about him when he came in. I just watched him for the first few games of the season. Absolute baller. Then went onto YouTube and then that kind of um, congrat that kind of cemented my viewpoint of him rather than me then having that viewpoint and then essentially adding in his performances after that. So I look forward to seeing him um, around Leicester. He's got a very good manager. Um, and yeah, I hope he is a, I hope he is a, a, a success for them. Yeah, I agree with your um, philosophy of wanting to see players play a full 90 minutes. I think that's the best way to understand what a player is is all about. Um, but me personally, if I think of the example of Alex Lacazette, uh, before he came to Arsenal, people were saying, you know, ah, oh, he's going to be a brilliant kind of player and he's going to be like a replacement for Alexis Sanchez. So I did my YouTubes and what I could see from just looking at his game is he's definitely not an Alexis Sanchez type of player. Uh, I think I remember describing him as being like, Jermaine Defoe with better techers. Um, and so for me, being able to just see what someone's game is like, especially because, you know, you get excited about these new transfers. So, you, you know, you do a little bit of scouting and you try and find out what they're about before they come. So you know what to expect. And then when they come, now you can see if they're going to live up to the kind of uh, expectation you have with them. Um, so that, that's that's my approach to doing it. Um, mm. I'm not saying he's going to come here and he's going to be a world-class player or anything like that, but he definitely does look like he's got some pace, definitely does look like he can score some goals, and that's what Leicester need. Um, with uh, the goal drought that Vardy had last season and with the age of Vardy now, he's getting on a bit, they're definitely going to need to replace him. Will Ayanacho be able to keep scoring goals? If if there's an injury to Vardy and Ayanacho, what are they going to do? Mm. So I think it's a it's a good signing, and it's not actually that much money. It's something like uh, thirty three million dollars, uh, according to NBC Sports here, and of course that's why they've got it priced in US dollars. <laughs> um, so, so pretty much one more story left to go. Uh, just being conscious of time, we're going to have to whiz through this one, I suppose. Fernandinho, yeah, legend. I think probably the best DM the Prem's seen in 15 years. Wow. Wow. 
a statement. Yeah, um, before anyone says it, Kante's not a DM. So I just want to confirm that. What, what position does Kante play? He's a he's a box to box midfielder. Like he can do it all. Like he doesn't just sit in front of the back four and and like like that's kind of negating his all round ability. Like he's got an engine, so he needs to get up the pitch. Whereas Fernandinho is a is a specialized player. He's a defensive midfielder. He mm. he can play box to box, but he's better at being just a defender, and a, a, a DM, and a, and a destroyer. And I think in the last fifteen years, I can't think of many DMs that have been better than Fernandinho. <laughs> Well, yeah, 36 years old now, 350 games for Man City and signing a one-year contract extension. Um, so it's clearly highly thought of. You'd have thought that they've got options at City now. They've got um, Rodri in there and, uh, you know, Gundogan has been used in different roles in midfield. Mm. Um, he, he can, you know, maybe, maybe Gundogan's better as a box-to-box kind of midfielder mm. than an actual just sitting in front of the back four kind of midfielder. Um, but, um, yeah, I suppose coming towards the autumn of his career, you'd think he'd be used more sparingly next season, maybe more in a squad rotation role than sort of playing week in, week out. But at 36 years old, he's still at the top of his game, and uh, it's nice to see he's still going to be around next season. I think you, what you do is you keep him for his ethos and his experience. So he's not going to play as much like, and actually his minutes have been going down and down like season on season. So um, he still offers something. He's still able to kind of like play well um, every now and then. And I think what's happened with a couple of teams as well is sometimes they've got rid of the, the, the old guard a bit quick. I think Arsenal done that as well. I remember when they got rid of Perez, Lundberg, Vieira went, Burkamp went and Henri went. There's only Gilberto Silva left. And you should try to keep your experience around to continue to blood the new guys. So, yes, Fernand Torres, who you spoke about earlier on, he's been there for a season. He's learned from him for one season. But there could still be something that Fernandinho offers him as a player going into his second season that helps to kind of keep that winning mentality, that culture. Because he's been there for 10 years now. Like, yeah, but eight to 10 years. So he's seen the changes. And even if he could potentially go onto the onto the coaching board, coaching side of things or, or stuff like that, like... It's good to not get rid of your your old guard too quickly and kind of phase them out slowly but surely so that you kind of keep the continuity, especially when you're a winning team. It's really important that you kind of keep that ethos there. There you go. So that brings us to the end of our discussions for today. Thank you very much for your learned contribution, Ash. So, no worries. It's been good, man. Like two of us. It's 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 weird. But um, I think this is the first time I've ever been on a pod which has been two of us. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And obviously, you always doing your thing, how man. Like, you know what I mean? They got the engine room just making things. Arcante. That's what okay, we'll call okay. you. Yeah, Ar- yeah, yeah. So, so it's, uh, it's Kante and De Bruyne today. Oh, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get mad at you for calling me Kevin De Bruyne, in it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was good. Awesome. Um, okay, so uh, make sure you guys catch us on at podcast play on on the socials. There's obviously the at beer rap bants uh, uh, handle if you want to get us on social media. Um, if you want to send us a video, you can send a video to podcast play on at gmail.com, a little one minute video of you talking football uh, for the chance to get onto our YouTube uh sorry not youtube a chance to get onto our instagram channel um i've been cal and i've been ash we are gonna wish you a very good week peace peace